in the spirit of reconciliation. Herbert Smith Freehills acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Hi everyone, I'm Michael Vrasak as a partner in the Herbert Smith Freehills Financial Services team. Welcome to our podcast series called the FSR GPS. This series focuses on topical and emerging issues in financial services regulation, which we think are the most strategic and important issues for our clients. Feel free to suggest topics you would like us to cover in the future, but for now, we hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello, I'm Luke Hastings, a partner in our contentious FSR team, and I'm going to hand over to Mark Smythe. Thanks very much, Luke. Uh, my name's Mark. I'm a partner in the disputes group at HSF in Sydney. Uh, I have a particular focus on ESG issues, uh, including defending uh, novel ESG and climate-related litigation, uh, some work in responding to enforcement investigations and assisting our clients to navigate uh, some contentious issues across the ESG space, uh, including greenwashing. So uh, it's very exciting to be joining this podcast. And so exciting to have you with us, Luke and Mark. I'm Sarah Webster, a senior associate in our disputes practice with experience in regulatory investigations, enforcement and class actions. In this episode, we're going to cast a spotlight on greenwashing and explore specifically how this very topical issue is affecting clients in the financial services sector. At Herbert Smith Freehills, we have noticed a marked increase in clients seeking advice on greenwashing and ESG issues across a variety of sectors, including banking, asset management and superannuation. Mark, you've been covering ESG litigation trends in HSF's Third Wheel podcast series. To kick us off, could you give us some background as to how and why greenwashing has become such a hot topic? I have, Sarah. Thank you very much. And thanks for the plug for the uh, Third Wheel podcast, where um, we'd be delighted if you would tune into that as well. Uh, So as you say, Sarah, for some time now, uh, ESG has been seen as an increasingly critical factor in investment decisions. And that's really what has driven the focus on uh, greenwashing as as a consequence. So I think probably historically, there might have been a sense that Uh, the precursor to what we now describe as ESG, uh, corporate social responsibility issues, and and the related commitments that companies made were maybe matters for marketing departments or really contextual matters to investment decisions. But now we're very much seeing that ESG is core to investment decisions. And HSF recently put out uh, a report on unlocking um, ESG investments, where we uh, surveyed many of our clients about uh, the role of ESG in investment decisions and that very much was consistent with with that theory and that I think over 90% of respondents said that ESG outcomes were important to their investment decisions and uh, 58% went further and said that ESG was uh, very important or critical to those decisions. So I think as a result of that, we've seen in in the sort of greenwashing space uh, a focus by uh, the government and legislators, a focus by our enforcement regulators, and then also a focus by activist shareholders, um, 
all of whom want to ensure uh, that commitments are framed accurately uh, and, and consistently with what is reasonably achievable, uh, but also that those um, ESG statements and, and future-facing commitments are then followed through with. So uh, in March 2023, the Federal Senate uh, set up its inquiry into greenwashing uh, by Australian companies uh, in a number of industry, uh, particularly focused on energy, vehicles, food and drink packaging, all of which um, raise ESG issues. Um, that inquiry is due to report in December this year, but there have been uh, a number of submissions made to that. Uh, secondly, both the ACCC and ASIC have had a very significant focus and enforcement priority on greenwashing, uh, and in particular, the ACCC very recently released draft guidance on greenwashing, um, which provides uh, some very useful uh, information to companies around both setting ESG-related targets and, and, and making ESG-related statements, but also issues to watch out for in terms of uh, implementation of, of those ESG commitments. And then I think finally, um, businesses are also being subjected to an increasing volume, of course, of questions from investors uh, and from activist shareholders about their ESG strategies. Uh, and so those are um, very much evident at AGMs, uh, but also uh, in, in the context of um, capital raisings and other investment related matters. And Luke, how has this issue unfolded in the financial services sector? Thanks, Sarah. Well, over the last few years, we've seen rising demand uh, and supply of financial products that incorporate some environmental, social and governance considerations in their decision making and their investment strategies. Globally, assets under management that integrate ESG criteria reportedly grew from 30 to 35 trillion US dollars in the last five years. And they now comprise over a third of global assets under management. So a very significant part of the financial uh, services and financial product industry. Uh, these are products that ASIC describes as sustainability related products. And they haven't just come into focus, obviously, in Australia, but for regulators all around the world. But here in Australia, ASIC has said that sustainable finance and by default combating greenwashing is today a whole of ASIC regulatory priority. And we've seen this um, in the stats. So in the nine months to March this year, ASIC has made 35 regulatory interventions against greenwashing and they include requiring corrective disclosures are made, issuing public infringement notices, and at the more serious end, pursuing civil penalty proceedings. It certainly feels like greenwashing is the word on every regulator's lips at the moment. Luke, could you walk us through what that term actually means and what kinds of legal issues are attracting regulatory attention in the financial services sector? Certainly, Sarah. So, ASIC made a number of speeches and, and sort of comments about this back in 2021, but in June 2022, they published an information sheet 271 entitled How to Avoid Greenwashing When Offering or Promoting Sustainability-Related Products. And in that information sheet, they describe greenwashing as the practice of misrepresenting the extent to which a financial product or investment strategy is environmentally friendly, sustainable, or ethical. 
And so having published that guidance, they then began investigating the conduct of super trustees and fund managers, among others, to see whether that guidance was being followed. But the key legal issue at the centre of each of their investigations has been the obligation not to engage in misleading or deceptive conduct. And that's recorded in the Corporations Act and the ASIC Act insofar as financial services and financial products are concerned. Thank you. So it sounds like the focus is very much on what are the representations that are being made about the product or service and to what extent are those accurate? As Luke foreshadowed, we have now had some examples of ASIC launching civil penalty proceedings in the federal court in relation to alleged greenwashing. Mark, whilst those cases are in their early stages, have they shed any light on the types of representations that can come under scrutiny? Thanks, Sarah. Yes, they have. And in terms of, I guess, ASIC's enforcement strategy, as you said earlier, um, greenwashing was very much the word on every regulator's lips for some time. And there was a lot of talk, I guess, to to keep that metaphor going uh, about uh, greenwashing and its importance over the last few years from regulators. But I think last year we really saw um, action then from the regulators in terms of their enforcement strategy. What that meant initially was that there were a range of uh, infringement notices issued by ASIC, and uh, those were really uh, cases that aimed at identifying what ASIC considered to be uh, clearer instances uh, of infringements and proceeding immediately towards infringement notices. But as you say, in February of this year, we had um, ASIC's enforcement strategy changing further and um, its first civil penalty case um, commenced in court. Um, and so the representations in uh, that first ASIC case relate to the investment mandate of cer certain uh, investment options and specifically statements within them to the effect that investments in certain industries and those included gambling and alcohol production would be excluded. And ASIC alleged that those investment options uh, did, in fact, um, over the relevant periods, have investments in companies within those sectors. And so that was said to be, in ASIC's view, an instance of mislabeling or an instance of uh, a failure by um, the investment screening process. Um, it's been uh, announced very recently in court uh, on Friday that um, ASIC expects that um, the liability aspects of that proceeding will end up uh, not being contested uh, and that uh, ASIC will move then with that entity towards um, submissions in relation to penalty. Secondly, uh, ASIC commenced in July of this year, so very recently, its second uh, court-based greenwashing proceeding also in the federal court, and this time against the responsible entity of a fund, uh, which enabled investors to invest in various bonds. The representations in that case are also focused on the ESG criteria that applied to the investments, and in particular to investments in certain companies being excluded on the basis that the company had significant business activities in specified industries, and in that case, including uh, in the fossil fuels industries. 
finally, and, and most recently, um, ASIC has commenced um, its third greenwashing proceeding uh, in, in uh, just this month, um, also seeking civil penalties, and this time against a superannuation fund, alleging that it had exposed its members to investments that it had claimed on its website to limit or exclude. Again, uh, the investments in this case allegedly relate to gambling, tobacco, and um, the coal mining sector, but also, uh, interestingly, investments in Russian entities uh, following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And in ASIC's views, um, those matters are, are said to be inconsistent with the relevant disclosures um, that, the, that the fund had made. So we've got three civil penalty proceedings addressing similar subject matter within about six months of each other. Luke, interested in your key takeaways from these early proceedings as well. Sarah, it certainly illustrates the heightened regulatory focus um, from ASIC. It's really actively uh, conducting investigations in this area. And so uh, you'd have to anticipate a number of those investigations are going to proceed to enforcement. And it's highly likely that we're going to see more cases coming through the pipeline. But one of the proceedings that Mark mentioned, um, which was commenced against or has been commenced against the responsible entity of a global bond fund. Um, that particular fund was described as ethically conscious. And the case uh, has reportedly had a significant effect on global asset managers and raised questions around the extent to which they might be relying on certain indices to form the basis of their ESG investment options. And from the public record, so you can see the um, court documents that have been filed, the composition of the relevant fund appears to have been based on a global index, which in turn purported, as Mark mentioned, to exclude securities based on research and screening processes, in particular, uh, companies whose significant business activities involve fossil fuels, alcohol, tobacco, gambling, military weapons, etc. And the cases illuminated the risk of relying on those ESG screening processes that appear to have been applied to some third party's index. Thank you. It sounds like the scope of investment exclusions and ESG screening criteria has really been the focus of the proceedings commenced to date. More broadly, ASIC released Report 763 in May 2023 on its recent greenwashing interventions, which also identified other matters that ASIC has considered, including net zero statements and targets and claims of decarbonisation, terms like clean, green or carbon neutral, and fund labels that include sustainability-related terms. ASIC gives an example of a corrective disclosure outcome where the responsible entity of a managed fund deleted terms from a fund name that suggested it was seeking to transition from carbon. Luke, there is a pretty bright spotlight being cast upon these issues. What are some of the implications for our clients? Well, Sarah, I guess as ever, it's important for our clients to be vigilant about the representations that they're making about their offerings. And those representations, um, you know, aren't just in the, the detailed legal documents. They can be commonly on websites, on social media, uh, certainly in the product disclosure statements or other offer documents that are um, prepared and issued. But they can even appear in the name of the company itself or their products and services. I mentioned earlier, uh, one of the funds was described as the ethically conscious fund. 
and that, of course, uh, may carry with it a particular representation. So it's important for there to be really clear communication and alignment between the product development team, the marketing team, the investment team, and of course, the legal teams to ensure that the representations that are made, um, not just but in marketing materials, among others, accurately reflect the underlying nature of the investments and on an ongoing basis. The last point you draw out is a really important one. It's certainly important not to set and forget. In June this year, the chair of ASIC gave a speech on ESG and mentioned that some companies in response to ASIC's focus on greenwashing might engage in green hushing. Mark, could you explain that phenomenon for our listeners? Yeah, sure. Green hushing, it's a great term and it refers to the practice of being silent on ESG strategy or walking back statements in relation to ESG. So, for example, not disclosing or promoting net zero commitments or ESG policies. So, uh, in light of the uh, significant focus from an enforcement and litigation perspective on greenwashing, The phenomenon suggests that some companies are seeking to limit their disclosures or to say less about ESG for fear of falling foul of um, misleading or deceptive conduct provisions of the kind that Luke has described. I think as against this, of course, and there was an interesting debate about this uh, just last week at the AICD conference at which uh, Sarah Court, uh, ASIC Enforcement Commissioner, um, uh, appeared on the panel of. Uh, On on the one hand, of course, uh, it's important for any statements around ESG, particularly future commitments, to be accurate and um, uh, that there's no suggestion from ASIC or or us or anyone else um, that that, um, companies um, should should be out there making statements that that they're not 100% comfortable standing behind. But on the other hand, um, there is a significant demand from investors and the general public to actually understand um, what companies' positions on ESG issues are. So uh, it, it's not really the case that companies can draw back altogether in terms of their ESG statements. There's such a demand um, from the public and from investors to understand ESG positions. And so really the, the sort of... Um, uh, the the difficulty is ensuring that um, within all of the uncertainty that relates to long-term future commitments in particular, um, that you are accurate, that you're testing and ensuring to the extent you can that you have reasonable grounds for statements um, and ensuring you're as accurate as possible while at the same time still giving investors and the public the sorts of information that they're very much demanding. Thank you. I think that gives our listeners a helpful overview of the current greenwashing landscape. But this is, of course, only one facet of a broader trend, which is ESG concerns increasingly translating into legal action. Mark, could you walk us through some of the other bases of legal claims that you are starting to see? Sure. And I think, Sarah, that um, it's fair to say that greenwashing-related proceedings have been um, probably the most significant set of developments in the ESG space and where, um, whether it be the regulators or whether it be um, corporate um, 
shareholder activists who are bringing proceedings uh, are seeing more the most fertile ground. Um, but I suppose the second bucket would be um, it, within certain sectors, uh, wherever there are significant um, climate change impacts of um, decisions, there will be um, increasingly a litigation risk. So particularly in the environment and planning context, whenever there are uh, major approvals that might have an emissions impact, um, we're seeing significant litigation attaching there. But um, of broader sort of relevance, um, particularly within the financial services sector, uh, we're seeing novel types of claims that are directed to either the entity or to uh, the directors uh, around their duties to manage ESG risks. And uh, in particular, uh, we've seen claims that are focused on um, managing uh, climate change related risks, including risks of stranded assets and the like. It's fair to say that so far those novel claims have um, faced significant difficulties. Uh, so, I mean, in Australia, there was a broad tort-based claim that alleged that um, in approving a coal mine extension, uh, the relevant uh, minister, the Minister for the Environment, owed uh, a duty of care to young Australian children in considering the approval. And that sort of a decision could have impacts for um, corporate entities as well. But that was um, overturned on appeal in, in a very clear fashion. Uh, there is, however, a narrower uh, case which is currently before the courts and which will be heard later this year, which is um, the Pabai Pabai case in which uh, Torres Strait Islander communities are bringing uh, a challenge to the Commonwealth Government in respect of its uh, alleged failure to manage climate change related risks. Um, so that is a narrower sort of claim than the earlier one that we saw in Sharma. Um, finally, uh, and, and most recently, there was an unsuccessful claim uh, against the directors of Shell in respect of um, managing climate change risks. And uh, in, in that case, the activist group alleged that uh, the board had failed to take um, sufficiently active steps to um, set um, stringent climate change related targets and to um, manage energy transition. Uh, the court in that case very much was of the view that those were matters uh, that involved serious questions of business judgment and um, uh, the balancing of a whole range of different considerations and not in that case um, for appropriate for the court to intervene in and second guess. Uh, but of course, in the future, there might be different and narrower, uh, more targeted claims of that kind that emerge. It'll certainly be interesting to see what's on the horizon as far as the novel and uh, new claims go. Just adding to that, Luke, are there other issues or sources of ESG-related disputes that you're starting to see impact clients in the financial services sector, either in Australia or abroad? Uh, yes, yeah, Sarah, just very briefly, um, we're seeing activists uh, in this space pursue financial institutions um, that supply capital to other companies to um, look at the ESG-focused and raising questions around the scope of their due diligence procedures, particularly around the intended use of capital that they are supplying to um, borrowers. Uh, and in particular, will it be used in a way that raises any ESG concerns or otherwise cuts across um, broader uh, environmental principles that they might that the bank might have signed up to globally? So banks are coming under increasing public pressure to thoroughly investigate the use of funds and even in some circumstances 
to refuse to finance some endeavours. And as practically that has the consequence that banks aren't just being scrutinised for their own activity, but also for the activity of their borrower clients. Thank you, Luke. Another topic which we have not covered today is ASIC's focus on governance in relation to ESG issues and its scrutiny of climate risk disclosures. HSF has another podcast series called Reporting for Duties ESG Reporting in Australia, and so listeners can also tune into some really interesting episodes there on issues such as the new climate reporting regime. That is about all we have time for today. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the FSR GPS podcast series. And thank you, Luke and Mark, for sharing your insights with us. Our pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks for tuning in. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Herbert Smith Freehills. For more episodes, please go to our channel on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud and visit our website, herbertsmithfreehills.com, for more insights relevant to your business.